We're going to study a guy, amazing guy, that had amazing heart by the name of David. David kind of stands out in in history. Uh, He was truly a renaissance kind of guy. He excelled on on multiple fronts in his life. He, He has stellar credentials when you get right down to it. David was a uh, very skilled musician, and uh, he was so talented that King Saul at the time would summon him to, to come and play, and the music that David played kind of soothed the king's soul and uh, made his deep depression kind of dissipate, so to speak. David was a fierce competitor. We know that he would take on a lion, a bear, whatever, And he would face his foes with this incredible kind of passion and courage. He had heart. He was a fearsome warrior. In fact, he won a legendary battle we'll talk about in a few weeks before he could even shave. So, I mean, David had this magnetic personality and his leadership was kind of off the charts and it was so great that the greatest soldiers of that day wanted to serve under David. And so David ended up assembling a military powerhouse. He led Israel in, in battle. They were able to conquer their other enemy nations around them. He expanded the empire of Israel and kind of took them to the zenith of power. David was an astute statesman. His wisdom, his political savvy allowed Israel to achieve its highest levels of economic stability and political stability. David's reign is considered the golden age of Israel. David was a poet. He wrote more than half the Psalms, many of which express this longing of the the human heart for God, to, to worship God. Those psalms were written more than 3,000 years ago, yet they still remain the single most moving and influential devotional literature that's ever been written. And if that wasn't enough, David had the looks. (laughs) Scripture says he was handsome, GQ. He won the people of Israel's heart. And it was so etched in their mind that when referring to the Messiah, they talk about the son of David. Because they hoped to reclaim the glory days of David. David had had this poetic soul like Shakespeare. He had a competitive heart like Michael Jordan. He had the musical abilities of a Bach, the statesmanship of Lincoln, and the physical attractiveness of Johnny Depp, you know? David, in many ways, is a central figure in the Old Testament. I mean, Abraham, he's talked about for 14 chapters. Elijah, he covers 10 chapters. 66 chapters are devoted to David's story. David's mentioned 600 times in the Old Testament, another 60 times in the New Testament. David's legacy is so important that he is the last character mentioned in Scripture. Revelation 22.16, Jesus is addressing the churches, but he says, I'm the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. To this day, 
the flag that flies over Israel? It's the Star of David. So David is this amazing man that did amazing things. But God says what is really remarkable about David, what drew God to David was not what he accomplished. It was his heart. And that's what we're going to look at in this series. Matters of the heart. We're, we're going to look at David's heart in particular. And I believe that as we study David's heart, that God will work in our hearts as well. So 1 Samuel 16 is the first time that David appears in Scripture. A little back, back looking at the history. Israel has been freed from Egypt. They've been in the promised land for quite a while. They've lived under various judges. Some of the judges were like uh, Joshua, Gideon, Samson. Samuel was the last judge. The people decided that they wanted a king. And so God anointed the first king, and it was Saul. So Saul starts out, I mean, he's impressive at first. Scripture says he stood head and shoulders above all the people of Israel. But Saul became increasingly corrupt. In fact, he became evil at a point. And God just grew tired of having to deal with him. And so God sends a guy by the name of Samuel to talk to Saul and deliver a message. And here's the message he delivered. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Samuel delivers this message, and it's a tough message for the king to hear. And it apparently bothered Samuel a, a little bit, uh, because he's kind of grieving, trying to work, work through stuff. And, and so God says, I've got another task for you, but he kind of addresses the issue with, with Samuel and struggling to, to let go of, of Saul. He says, How long will you mourn for Saul? See, God's recognizing it. Since I've rejected him as king of Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel does what God asks him to do. He arrives at Bethlehem. Now, he is a prophet and so when the people see him, they, they kind of get concerned. Because usually, when a prophet shows up to a town, it is not a good thing. I mean, many times, they, they would come to town to deliver a message of doom, a message of, of punishment. And so the people in town, they see the prophet coming, and they just freak out. The elders get together, they meet Samuel at the gate. They're they're terrified. And they ask him, do you come in peace? He says, yes, I do. He informs them that they are actually about to be honored. And that he's come to offer a sacrifice. Everybody in that town breathes a sigh of relief at this point. He tells the elders to go and consecrate themselves. And then he specifically invites Jesse and his sons. And he says, I will consecrate you. Now, that was like a several-day process. 
So this little obscure town of Bethlehem is buzzing, wondering, what's the honor? The elders gather. Jesse, he brings his sons. When they arrive, you can almost feel it. Jesse, he is so proud. He can hardly contain it. He introduces his first son, Eliab. This is his heir. He always has known that his kid was destined for greatness. He's class president, quarterback of the football team, that kind of thing. Eliab walks into the room. He dominated it. Everybody was paying attention. I mean, this boy stood out. Jesse says, this is my son, Eliab. In the Hebrew, if you look up Eliab, it means he's the man. Not really, all right? But it could have been. Jesse thinks his son, he's the man. The elders, they see his son, and they're not in agreement. He's the man. Samuel, Samuel sees Eliab, and he goes, he's the man. But then God says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Everyone in that room thought that this, this young man, was the man. And God says, he's not the man. So Jesse parades his kids one at a time before Samuel. Benadab, nope, not him. Shema, not him. Seven sons step up in front of Samuel And seven times, Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen this one. I am sure that Samuel, as these boys are going past him, and he gets to the last one, and he says, nope, not him. I I wonder if he's going, did I get my wires crossed here? And so he asks what would appear to be a very dumb question at this point. He asks Jesse, he says, Do you have any more sons? And Jesse, almost like an afterthought when you read read the scriptures, he goes, well, uh, yeah, there's the youngest. We don't even get his name at this point. And in the the Hebrew, the youngest, it meant not just the, the last born, it meant the lowest in rank. Birth order was a huge thing in that day. Jesse says, yeah, there's the youngest one. But he's out taking care of the sheep. He's not the man. Samuel says, well, send somebody to get him. We'll stand. We'll we'll wait for him to, to get here. I figure it took a while. You know, they had to figure out where he was in the field and everything. They finally, they track him down. And it probably was very interesting because it says that they were to stand up and wait. And, and so I picture the seven boys, his brothers, they're, they're standing around and they're kind of like runners up in a Miss America pageant. 
I mean, they're trying to act like everything's okay, but in reality, they hope the winner dies so they can take his position. (laughs) David comes in from the field. He walks into the room, and he's standing before Samuel. And God says, this is the man. I mean, nobody saw this coming. I mean, in that day, no one saw it coming. Because God is turning the tide, a theme that you see often in Scripture. Nobody saw it coming. I mean, we do, because we know the story. But in that day, birth order was such a big deal. Everything went through the firstborn. All the rights, all the property, all the privilege, all the power structures, they were all connected to the firstborn. The firstborn was the most important. But God's doing a new thing. God is going to break through the ordinary cultural practices of that day. God is going to do away with the old limitations and the old boundaries of who counts and who doesn't count. They don't apply anymore. Not in God's kingdom. I mean, God's going to break through the human systems, the concepts of power. God's shaking stuff up. People, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, through the years, I have heard uh, people really um, distort that idea, uh, just kind of twisted. And, and I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that gifts and talents and strength don't matter to God. God, God made everything. God made your talents, your gifts, your strengths. And when God handed those out, he fully intended for us to use those talents, to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in his kingdom, to bring glory to to his name. And so what scripture is pointing out here is not that talents are a bad thing. What scripture is trying to point out is that in this world, people tend to obsess over the external stuff. You know, we tend to think that things like charm and attractiveness and skills and abilities that lead to accomplishments, that that's all that really matters. And so if you don't have those things... I mean, if it's not obvious and visible where people can see it, then, then okay, I'm insignificant. I, I don't matter. But friends, God's focus is deeper than that. It's the heart that matters. It's what God says throughout Scripture. It's what he's probably saying to some of you right now. You matter. Your heart matters. In God's kingdom, everyone matters. Everyone counts. Everyone has something to offer from the very last person born to the firstborn. In other words, if you take your gifts and you don't compare them to anyone else, but if you take that gift that God's given you or those gifts and you lay them before God with all of your heart 
you use them for God. When you do that, in God's kingdom, it's dynamite. It's explosive. It's life-changing. God says to Samuel, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Scripture says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. What made David so appealing to God? Every time I read his story, that's the question. It's like, what is it? What is that thing? And that's what I want to look at, of, of what is that thing that David did that made his heart stand out? And what I hope to do is that as we're talking about this, maybe you do a little bit of a heart check in, in your life, see how you measure up in the areas. The first thing I notice about David's heart is that it was in tune with God. It's an attitude that David lived with. He wrote about it. You know, Psalms 139, 23, says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You you get this sense of putting his life before God. He says, with all my heart, I'm going to do this. I mean, David apparently spent a lot of time with God, allowing God to, to speak into his life, reflecting You know, saying, search me, God. And it changed David's heart. Changed his life. I think it marked him and it allowed God to use him. Made it possible for David to fully trust God because he knew God and God knew him. His life just kind of spills into other people's lives. I think it allowed him to pin things like the 23rd Psalm. He says, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. David spent so much time with God that it was just natural to to lean on God. He's out there shepherding the sheep. It was sheep and him and God. And and so you get this amazing day where he gets called in from the field. Samuel anoints him king. Think about that. And the next day, David returns to the field to shepherd the sheep. Now, I read that and I think, you'd probably be pretty jazzed. They just made me king. I mean, I'd have ran and grabbed the throne. That had been my tendency. But not David. David returns to the wilderness. And I, I think it's very important we catch this because I think the reason why he went back was not his concern for the sheep. I think he needed time with God. He needed to debrief on this one. See, that solitude wasn't an accident in David's life. It was very purposeful. It's where David finds courage. It's where he finds strength in his life. It's where he found grounding and guidance. It's how God shaped David's heart. And I think, you know what? God wants to do that in your life. I mean, if you just give him a chance, 
You know, when, when was the last time you just cleared your calendar for the day and spent the day with God? Just you and God, reflecting, talking. I mean, when was the last time you started your day with God? Just spent a few minutes with him. Or debriefed at the end of the day. Just said, hey, here's what's been happening. Here's what I did. And, you know, and just talk. See, I believe one of the greatest weapons in the evil one's hands is all the noise in our life. You know, listening to, to culture. You know, listening to the latest fad or trend, running 100 miles an hour with no margin in our life, and consequently, we have no time for God. And so that lack of solitude, it results in living very superficially. It'll result in you majoring in the minors in life. It results in living with a lot of anxiety and fear. It results in you living life without God's guidance, which leads to a lot of regret. And you live without God's power, which ultimately will lead you to hopelessness. When you look at David's life, the times that he neglected his time with God, he gets jammed up. He gets tripped up in sin. He spends when he's spending time with God, connecting, worshiping, there, there's this stability, there's this strength, there's this sureness that he has. And friends, I would encourage you, spend time with God on a regular, daily basis. Make a commitment, maybe through this series, to, if you're not already doing devotions, to say, read one or two of the Psalms. Majority of them written by David. It'll help you link up a little bit here. But to just reflect on the psalm. Talk to God about it. Allow God to speak into your life. Allow God to change your heart. Because that's what happens when you spend time with God. The second thing that I noticed about David's heart is that it's undivided. David's heart is fully abandoned to to God. There's a common line that David uses uh, in the psalms. He says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart, all my heart. You know, David says, I will give you all my heart. That's what David did. He just gave it all to him. And it's really amazing because David's heart isn't divided. He's all in. He's all in. He never held back. David wasn't calculating. He wasn't cautious with his heart. He's really quite generous and free. There was a significant event in the history of of Israel. David had just been crowned the king of Israel. He had just defeated the Philistines. He had recaptured Zion. And he's returning the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. But he's returning it. To Jerusalem. It had to be one of the greatest days in David's life. All the media is covering it. David enters Jerusalem and it's a parade. He's marching with the troops. And David starts worshiping 
He's clapping his hands. He's raising his hands. He's singing. He's dancing. He's connecting with God. He forgets about everything. I mean, it's all heart at this point. And then David starts stripping off his clothes. I mean, first the shirt comes off, then the pants. He's dancing in his boxers. Can you, can you get the picture here? Finally, those go. David's wife, McCall, she, she's watching from the balcony. And man, when he got home, did she tear into him. I mean, she wanted to rein him back. And David says this to her. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my eyes. I mean, in essence, David's saying to her, nothing else matters but worshiping God. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what my soldiers think. It doesn't matter what this nation thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. All that matters is what God thinks. And I think the reason why David stripped everything off is I think he was getting rid of his kingship at that point. That it was a symbol to everyone that he had stripped it off, that it was gone. God, I will give you all my worship. I'll give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. And David gives it all. He gives his whole heart. He says, you know what? I may even become more undignified than what I did here. Scripture, that word for undignified, it's halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah. You know, to worship, to praise, to clamor foolishly. Mad before God, uncivilized. David was mad. He was madly in love with God. And he worships and he just forgets about everything else. It's all heart. When was the last time that you just showed God your full heart? Just set everything else aside. You know, expressed your your gratitude to God, fully abandoned. I mean, even for a moment, you were willing to be just a little undignified and just pour it out to God. When was it? There's another time David, uh, he's commanded by God to build an altar at the threshing floor. And it was owned by a guy by the name of Arana. And David arrives and he informs him that he wants to build an altar there. And the man says, threshing floor is yours. Uh, In fact, I'll give you the ox that you need for the sacrifice. I'll give you the, the firewood. It's over there. Just grab what you need. It's a gift. It's all yours. The scripture says this. David says, no, I will pay you for it. I will not offer the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. David, 
in his heart. He was like, I can't offer God something that doesn't cost me. I am going to make a personal sacrifice. See, I think for David, it was a heart issue. And you watch David's life and you read about it and he shows that kind of love for God over and over in scripture where he just spontaneously abandons himself and he just jumps. I'll fight Goliath. I've often wondered after he said it if he was like, uh, why'd that come out? What was I thinking? But see, David... He abandons himself. He wasn't concerned about his personal safety. He wasn't worried about the what-ifs in life. His heart was full on for God, and he just, his life screamed, my heart belongs to God, and whatever God needs, I'll do it. I'll fight him. We'll talk about that next week. But friends, when I read it, I think, I want a heart like that. I do not want to go to my grave with a cold, calculated, protected, safe heart. I don't. You know, my prayer for all of you is for your heart. That, that you would, would start worshiping God like you've never worshipped before. That you would be so moved with gratitude that it just spills out of you. That you throw caution to the wind. Start taking some risks for God. Have the courage to to step up and fight some of the enemies in in this world. Things that that oppose God. To just say, you know what, I'll take that on. I will say what needs to be said. God, use me, I'm here. You know, my prayer is that we would settle for nothing less in our lives than true sacrifice. The cost then we'd be willing to put it all on the line, abandon ourselves, and give God our full and undivided heart when we worship, when we give, when we serve, that we would be people that just give our heart totally to God. Third thing I noticed about David's heart was how devoted his heart was. Psalms uh, 78 says, David shepherded them. He was talking about the, the people of Israel. He shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands. He led them. Integrity of heart. The idea is undivided heart, uh, a loyal heart. David shepherded everyone, even the really obstinate sheep that were in his fold. You see it throughout David's life. You know, Saul, Saul, uh, he was once this young, promising king. And he becomes very corrupt. He becomes really kind of pathological with his jealousy toward David. He deceives David on numerous occasions, even tries to kill David on a couple occasions. And what is amazing, when you read the story, David loved Saul. Twice David had a justifiable opportunity to kill Saul, and he refused to do it. When Saul finally dies, we find David weeping. David writes a tribute to Saul. He he asks, he actually commands the nation of Israel to mourn. 
And when I read it, I think, how could he even find tears to shed for that man? But see, Dave, David loved. David knew the good things about Saul, and he knew the bad stuff about Saul. But in the end, he loved Saul. Then he loved Jonathan. Jonathan, that's Saul's son. This would have been his main rival for the throne. You would expect that these two guys would be at odds with one another. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a setup in the, in the sense that you just expect, because of the situation, they would be at each other's throats. Yet they had one of the greatest friendships in history. When they had to part ways, you find David in a field weeping. It's his heart. Years later, after the death of, of Jonathan and Saul, David shows how deep that love was, and he, he cares for Jonathan's son. Jonathan's son's unable to, to walk, and Scripture says that David loved him like a son. He ate at the king's table. David gave back everything that had belonged to Saul, his grandfather. He gave him all the land back. See, David, when you read, if David loved you, you stayed loved. Because he had this grace and and love for even people like Saul that were kind of off the chart. He just... That's the way he loved. Friends, I want to love like that. I want a heart like that. You know, I want to have the kind of, that kind of a heart with, with my family. I want to have that kind of heart with my friends. I want to have that kind of heart for this church, for all, for all of you. You know, I want to have that kind of heart for seekers, for people that are lost in this world. A devoted heart, no matter what. And then you got David's love for God. He had undying love. He's going to love God no matter what. No matter what people thought. No matter what it cost him. No matter what happened in his life. And he had some good things happen. Some bad things happen. And some ugly things happen. And he still loved God through all that. His love for God... Never a doubt, never a doubt. Near the end of his life, most believe that the 23rd Psalm he wrote as kind of a thesis or a mantra of how to live life. In that last verse he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David's writing this, and I want you to picture he's, he's old. His hair's gray. He's got wrinkles. He's worn, tired, weary maybe. And I wonder as he wrote those words, if he thought back when he was handsome and young. If he remembered the first day that Samuel poured the oil on his head and God's spirit descended on him. I wonder if he remembered the first day he sat in the throne. As a young man, he dreamed dreams. Now that I'm king, things will be different. 
And they were. I mean, David did a lot of things right. He did a few things wrong. David loved God. And I think David, when he wrote those words, was making a statement about the condition of his heart. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know, sometimes I make a mess of things. I know that this life can be challenging. I know there are times it has been unfair. It has been cruel. I don't know everything. But I know no matter what, I will love God. As long as I have breath, and even when I take my last breath, I will love God. I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, what would happen? I mean, what if faith fellowship was full of people that were after God's heart? I mean, what if all of us were willing to abandon ourselves to God and follow God with undivided hearts? I mean, what if we worshiped with all of our heart? What if we sacrificed with all of our heart? What if we served with all of our heart? What if we spent time with God regularly, daily, allowing God to grow our hearts, to use us to our full God-given potential? What if faith fellowship throughout the Riverbend area became known for its love? known for unconditional love, for the community, for lost people, for sinful people, for each other, and for God. What do you think would happen if this church was known for its heart? Friends, I'd challenge you with that. I'm going to pick this up next week, but What if? What if you just gave your heart to God fully? Let's bow in prayer. Our holy God, you see our hearts. God, you are fully aware when we're holding back, just giving you a little piece God, forgive us when our hearts are so divided. We've got so much happening, so much going on that we just kind of push you to the side. God, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would breathe in us. And then we just give it all to you. God, I pray that this church, that um, we'd be known for the kind of heart we have. Surrendered heart to you. A heart full of unconditional love.
loyal love. God, I pray that um, you just work in our hearts. Whatever it is that's holding us back, that just give us the wisdom and the strength to push it aside. Let me just bow before you and say, here I am. I'm here to worship you, praise you with what I say and with what I do. God, we give you the glory. God's people said. There'll be people up front. Um, you know, if you got something that's on your heart this morning, they'd be glad to pray with you. And we're going we're gonna to worship. I will worship with all my heart.